Welcome to Brave New Words. I'm your host, Ed Fortune. I'm Dal. And I'm producer Al. So, uh, Brave New Words is brought to you in association with fabradiointernational.com, Starburst Magazine, and you can also find us on the Wonky Spanner website. But mostly we're named after a column in Starburst Magazine, which you should be reading. So, um, after this short jingle, we're going to be talking about books. This is Fab Radio International. Wasn't that a lovely jingle? It was a lovely jingle. Excellent jingle. So I've got a big box of books here. Oh, Cause, cause they're books. So I'm going to talk about this one first. This is The First Howard Hit by Alan Dunsky Bowden. You might be wondering, well, what on earth are you talking about Alan Dunsky Bowden's The First Howard Hit? Because Mr Fortune, did this book not come out absolutely ages ago? And you're right, it did. It came out absolutely ages ago, but it's been relaunched um, courtesy of www.whatamount40klegends.com, which is, you know, those kind of subscribe things that you get? Mm. Where it's like, collect the set and collect in parts. Oh, yeah. Um, this is out on a kind of collecting set, collecting parts sort of sort of a thing. You can uh, you can order it as well, and you get a whole lot of books. You can if you put your orders, you can get you get coasters, and okay. chaos book bookends, and Inquisition handcards, and maps, and oh maps, map map of Spain. They've got is that just a big black piece of card? I was about to say that. Uh, it's, there's a wall chart here. <gasps> of like, wall chart of, of the history of mankind in space. So it's Warhammer 40k. In case you that haven't posters look nicer. It's a lovely. It's also a big poster. This is this is the thing that you get with the book. It's not the book itself. And I'm showing the microphone a huge poster of a. I think that's an ultramarine. Punching a elder. I think that's an ultramarine. As if you, you know, couldn't tell me what division it's from or something ludicrous. Okay, well, by the pips on his shoulder and his purity mark, I think he's probably first chapter. I can't remember how the, the ranks work in the um, in in the ultramarines, though it's the, the the primary chapter of the Codex Astartes. Shall I stop now before I turn into a massive nerd? It's got like... a lovely yellow and blue filter. It has. It has. So, um. First Heretic, it's a great book actually. It's one of Alan Dembski Band's best. Uh, it's set in the Warhammer 40,000 universe, but don't let that put you off. Um, what it is about is it's about a man who's the son of a god in space. Uh, but the god itself won't admit that it's a god. So this, this demigod son has real problems with that because he's like, well, if I'm not a demigod, even though I'm far superior to everyone else around me except for my father... My father's not a god. What does that mean? Well, <laughs> where are the gods? And that's kind of the core that runs through this book. Um, there is an absolutely beautiful painting of uh, Argotal and Cyrene, uh, which tells you everything about the first heretic. But this is full of beautiful plates as well. It's a really nicely written book. And it's space opera meets atheism meets that old story of man meets god doesn't get on well with him sort of a tale uh also demons so that's the first <laughs> also demons that's the first heretic uh victor Gollant have done some of their um most recent 
top notch fantasy novels. There's an entire set of these, and if you put them next to each other, they look awesome. Um, in hardcover, so we've got Tom Lloyd's The Stormcaller, 10th anniversary edition. Um, I'm just going to pass that to you. All of these are absolutely lovely. They're really solid hardcovers. This is Scott Lynch's The Lies of Lamora, which again is, I think, on Victor Gorlance, but it's a 10th anniversary edition of Scott Lynch's classic. Which is, it, is it 10 years? 10 years since ten The Lies years. of Lamora came out. No! What is linear time? No! Joe Crumbie's The Blade Itself, 10th anniversary edition. Since the first law series started, and um, if you've again, if you've not read the blade itself, you, you should, you really should. Uh, and again, tenth anniversary edition of Brandon Sanderson's first Nisborn book, The Final Empire. Oh. It's been ten years, people. It's been ten years since an absolute pile of amazingly solid fantasy novels have come out. Um, you can find out more on... Oh, it has an introduction. It has an introduction. Oh. You can find out more on www.orionbooks.co.uk um, But they look gorgeous, don't they? Yeah. It's, a, it's no dust covers, proper, proper chunky hardcover. It um, looks sturdy, but really beautiful. Not quite heavy enough to stun a regular. No. If you've got the, 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 the very, very pointy edge. You'd have, to use, you'd have to use like the Vulcan boot grip or something and... Yeah. Smack them in the right part. It's so weird thinking that's that these they're, they're like tenth anniversary edition books because I do see some of these books as a change in the movement of, of genre fiction. Um like things like like The Lives of Luck Lamora, I really thought I'd love it and I I just I, I, I really tried and I rarely give up on books but I just couldn't I just didn't get into it. But at the same time, I could really appreciate the fact that I was like, this is a change. This is a change in my understanding of of genre fiction. And I could see that it was important. It just wasn't... It clearly wasn't my story. See, I, I like strong openings and the lives of a lot of them all. It begins with, have I got a deal for you? The thief maker began, perhaps inauspiciously. <laughs> and you're just like... Yeah, you know what? That's and it's called the lies of Lamora. Doesn't involve guy. Uh, Doesn't involve lies. No, <laughs> I think it might do. Why is it clear not in the title there? It might be. Because um, was Gentleman Bastards was that a trilogy? Indeed. Okay, I know that the the second one got held up, didn't it? The second one didn't come out for a good long while. Shall we look at other stuff that we've got in the the big book pile? They were very pretty, though. They're very, very. I pretty. would look at them forever. Um, this is just ridiculous. So I'm holding in my hand a front of glass coloring book by Sarah Jane Mass. That's out in Bloomsbury. So front of glass, the Assassin's Blade, the front of glass, the front of, front of glass, um, hair, hair fire, the Court of Mist and Fury. We've heard Ninfa talk about these books in the past. Yeah, a lot. And um, it's literally a coloring book. It is literally a colouring book. But with actual bits of text. Yeah. With actual bits of text from the books. It's like colouring the plates almost, isn't it? Yes. Uh, it's a proper colouring book because you've got different bits that, you know, different levels of complexity from yeah. when you can be bothered. Certain so. geometricness. And you've got one that's incredibly complicated because that man appears to be turning into a tree. 
So if you went all the way through that book from beginning to end, would you understand the story? Like, is there enough of the text in there? No. Oh. There is enough flavour for you to understand what sort of series it is and what sort of world it is. And what the picture you're about to colour in is. Or... Yeah. Okay. Uh, but would you want to go out and buy the books? Is this a cunning marketing ploy? Um, I think, really, if you're going to be picking up the Throne of Glass colouring book, you're probably familiar with the Throne of Glass series. I mean, she is a New York Times best-selling author. Right? Or you're buying a colouring book for your 15-year-old niece that you yeah. don't really know who to buy for. This is this is the anti-Christmas present, isn't it? Yeah. This is the Christmas present off the ante who walks into a shop and goes, I have a 15-year-old niece, what do I buy her? Uh, uh, uh. And somebody, uh, and you know, the helpful assistant in the bookshop does what they can. Says this has a kick-ass warrior on the front of it with a dagger, a sword, and she doesn't have massive boobs in your face. Which is always a good start. Yeah, yeah. This yeah, appeal to the she, she's, she's, wearing, she's wearing some sort of armour type thing that does not have a boob hole. Mm. When you said anti-Christmas, I was like, what? As in, you put this next to a Christmas present and it explodes. <laughs> and it's a shower of jingling. Possibly tinsel. No, you know the anti-Christmas present is yeah. usually smellies for, for, that contain, you know, six products, three of which you would never use in your life and you're 27. The mm. anti-Christmas present is an anti-Christmas present though because it's normally the most disappointing. <gasps> I try very hard with my nephews. So do I. That, that last Christmas, both my nephews got a very good graphic novel, a Funko Pop model and a Steam voucher. You see, that's, that's not a clothes set from Boots, is it? No, but I'm, still, a, I'm still an auntie and I think those are good presents. I got um, yeah. my younger nephew who... Um, I'm trying to think about how old he would have been at Christmas. Um, but yeah, I got my my younger nephew is a mid-teen, and I got him uh, Lovelace and Babbage. Um, Amazing, yeah. And my older nephew is, was been in his very early twenties, and I got him V for Vendetta. So um, Lovelace and Babbage is Sydney Padua, mm-hmm. uh, and V for Vendetta is Alan Moore. Do we have to say that? It's uh, sometimes just just you never you never know who you're going to introduce to a new and lovely world. Well, granted, oh. it wouldn't be a, a lovely world. <laughs> it's a lovely world for someone. I'm not sure whom. <laughs> but yes, um, yeah, I could I could rant about. I, you know, I'm very tempted to go off on one about Jerusalem again, um, which was overhyped by its the length of the size, but it's still huge, uh, and the reviews are starting to come in, and I'm still sitting there going, so I'm not going to read it. So I'm not going to read it because it's you know people are like oh well it's you know mythology is more coherent and all the rest of it and I'm like still sounds crazy but I'll get around <laughs> to it eventually but uh, maybe gentle listener if you if you cajole us enough on at Radio Bookworm we'll um, we'll buckle down and, and make Simon read it and yes make Simon <laughs> <laughs> and make Simon read Jerusalem uh, in fairness you know as as our, our talking Christian then maybe, maybe we should get time to read it because it's called Jerusalem. Uh, so what I've got in my hand, of course, is... <laughs> it looks a, brilliant. It is our Haynes Manual for the Millennium Falcon. Modified YT-1300. Do we need to explain Haynes Manuals for the benefit of non-British listeners? Do they not get overseas? I don't know. Just shall we explain the Haynes Manual? Oh! Yeah. 
So, do you want to go ahead, producer? Okay, so the Haynes Manual is a uh, long-running book series that essentially, what, virtually whatever car you have in Britain, you can buy a Haynes Manual for it. And it's basically a do-it-yourself guide to fixing your car when something on it has gone wrong. And each one is legendarily based on a full strip-down and rebuild of the car in question. Mm. Um, I've had one for every car I've had in my life over the last 20 years, apart from my current car, which apparently has not sold enough units to warrant a Haynes manual. Uh, But at some point in the last decade, Haynes went, oh, people have stopped buying these books because it's all sealed units and they can't do anything themselves with their cars. So we should branch out and what else can we make Haynes manuals about? Well, this There's is a, a very good one about men. Th- Seriously. Full strip down and rebuild. Yes. yes. No. S- wow. So this one, <laughs> clearly what they've done is they've gone to the Corellian Engineering Corporation, um, which is responsible for the YT series of freighters. And they've done a full strip down and rebuild of a YT series um, spaceship right down to the hyperdrive. And, you know, this should allow you to, to repair your nerve computer. Um, it's obviously, obviously it's Star Wars. So it, it's not quite that detailed. Because really, really, do you need a detailed exploding diagram of the hyperdrive motivator? Yes. Yeah, actually, yes, I it's a do. Haynes manual. But it get it kind of it gets there. We're just flipping through this now and we've got... A detailed, fairly detailed uh, ex- uh, explanation of how the sublight drives works, um, repulsor lifts and landing jets, an explanation of the hyperdrive, um, how evasive manoeuvres and special manoeuvres would work, with a, with a handy, <laughs> with a handy star destroyer as part of the diagram, just to see how you would avoid the star destroyer. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest. I, I mean, I know that the bookworm lost its uh, YT-1200 freighter in a, in a gambling competition on Cloud City a while ago, for, for which we'll still, you know, not going to forgive Russ for, but, you know. <laughs> it, it, if you want to go through the list, it, it goes through all of the, because the thing is with, with Star Wars, of course, is that they've expanded on the Millennium Falcon. So there's all the different Bits, you know, you're buying a Millennium Falcon at the dealership. Yes. Mm-hmm. Here are the various add-ons. Yeah, yeah. that's good. That, that well, you, you might not necessarily need that bit. I think that's the engine. <laughs> All right. Well, I maybe it comes, with, maybe it comes you know, a choice of 1.2, 1.4 or diesel. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that's the case. I think there's different engines you can get. I think you're right. You might not need that bit. Yeah, you've got thanks. That yeah. That's exactly what I meant. And, you know, if you want to have pontoons, there's the optional extras, poor pontoon. Oh, I thought they were like the neon strips. I don't think there's a like boy the, racer version. the boys on the estate use. Oh, no, there is, look. There's a high-speed oh, boy racer version. I love this, because like, I, lo- I love Haynes so much. They always have a very kind of a warm feeling kind mm. of from me like the, the Haynes Motor Museum is very close to where I grew up and I remember going there on on a school trip and, and buying the inevitable oversized pencil and giant rubber to to take home with our two pounds we were allowed to take on our school trips yeah um I remember having a great day you loads of stuff mm. I just had a great day just basically was running around looking at cars not reading anything no. and, and just being like I'm in a big hangar somewhere. It was huge. Everybody, everybody else's school trips were way cooler than mine. 
looking back now, my school trips were very good. We went to Hinkley Power Station. Oh my god! Yeah, that was really cool. Um, we went to Longleat a lot, but that's because Longleat was around the corner. Um, went to the Oasis at Swindon and did some ice skating and some swimming. Books. Oh yeah, sorry. Well, we just thought it was doing that British thing. One thing I will say though is while this book is really pretty and this is just anyone who's listened to the show before knows how I am with, with the actual kind of physical book and and making them look pretty. Um, pages that are printed black, they're so pretty so but touch to them once and the fingerprint is forever and it really upsets me. No, this, this page is grey. That's okay, but I promise you. Actually, no, yeah, yeah, no, there's a fingerprint. Like, nobody else notices and no one cares. It's your book and you can do whatever you want with it. But I just, in my head, that it's so easy to accidentally create imperfection. And you and know what, now you've me. shown me that fingerprint, I'm not going to be able to unsee it. I'm sorry. I must remember never to show producer Al my various Star Wars books. <laughs> because these hard, all of these hardcover Star Wars books tend to have uh, black plates in them. Because of space. Because of space and glossiness. Um, and some of them are just pages and pages of plates and black pages with white text. Which space, is the right final frontier. <laughs> but yes, there's lots of different types of novelty hints and manuals out there. Uh, there's a zombies one as well. Thomas Tank Engine. Thomas Tank Engine. <gasps> oh a, my god, that's amazing! Yes. Starship Enterprise. Yes. Um, there's, there's one for the Death Star. Now, I'm interested by the full strip down and, uh, and rebuild. This hole is an error. <laughs> but no, it's really impressive, actually. That, that exhaust is really impressive. Because it's a moon-sized structure, and their one single main exhaust is that narrow. Now, you think about how much heat that, well, that entire... Because it's a world... Must generate. Maybe that's why it goes all the way to the centre, and that's like a version of a heating system as well. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's the thing. Yeah. Mm. It's actually quite efficient and sustaining of them to do that. They've thought that through. Maybe they they take that heat and use it elsewhere. The same way Manchester, the the pump pump house, the water place used to do. They used to take all that steam and then pump that to the houses, and that was their heating. Are we saying that the Death Star is environmentally conscious? Yeah. Yeah. It would have to be, I suppose, at that level. I mean, once you've got one planet, you've got to balance it somehow, otherwise you lose loads of tax and carbon credits. Anyway, but... And if you think as well, like, they were a really big employer. They did a lot of... They did a lot of good for the community, putting that together. Shall we listen to a lovely jingle and then get back and talk about some books? A lovely jingle! Starburst Radio, the greatest radio show in the universe. Every Wednesday, 9pm till 11pm. Exclusive to Fab Radio International. That was a lovely jingle. What, what a lovely jingle. So, I've got Sparrow Falling by Guy Siebold. I know that name. Uh, she's written an awful lot of fun poppy stuff, and I think you probably have some of it on your To Be Red shelf. Uh, probably. Oh, maybe, yeah, that'll be it then. So, um, Guy Siebold is mostly known for her pulp adventure star novels um, Babylon Steel being her first which is you know strong female character excellent for hire um, transcendental fantasy nonsense great fun stuff 
and her Spyro series is steampunk. Now, Spyro Falling is not the first in the series. Okay. Um, Evil and Spyro uh, has had many, many adventures. Uh, I think the one before this was called Shanghai Spyro. No. Um, so, I've not read any of the others. This is my first um, Sparrow series. Oh, okay. So I kind of jumped into the middle. And every once in a while I'll cheerfully do that. Sometimes I'll sit there and I'll be like, Ed, can you review fourth book in the series or the seventh book in the series and I'll catch up. But I just thought, you know what? For this to work, it's got to be something that you can jump in. Mm. Now it's steampunk, as we can almost, judging a book by its cover, it's got an airship on the front yeah. and it's Victorian London. And it's going to tell us that it's steampunk. It's a bit pink for, st- for steampunk. Oh, there's quite a few. Very yeah, but he pink. said it was a girl. Oh. <laughs> no, I, I really, that was a mean thing to say. I don't know anything about this book. It's because it's a sun, it's a sunrise or a sunset. So, I mean, I'm assuming, therefore, we've got, is that, is this this idea of kind of maybe foreboding, like delight slash warning? Um, it's a quick way of creating that sort I of I think theme. this is a very steampunk cover because mm. you've got Victorian London and a weird looking airship but is it is it because that's the thing you're saying about jumping in you know what is it a series series or can you jump in because ultimately on the front of that cover it doesn't say anything about it being part of anything on the spine it doesn't and I think sometimes with because I've recently made that that mistake accidentally I got 60 pages into a book before I realised it was a sequel um, you were not happy about that I really wasn't happy about that because I'm really careful about that since delving into the book boxes all the time so it kind of to me I'm wondering if sometimes when books do that it's because it's part of a world and maybe it is a character arc but you can pick up these stories yes, short version so to give you a rough idea of the, the, the world itself we it starts off she's running a school now clearly at some point she wasn't running a school clearly mm. at some point she's had a series of other adventures and these aren't these aren't explained they're just they're kind of like they've had some other adventures here's someone that she knows that's clearly been involved in other adventures as well and clearly something has gone on in the past and you're like right okay I get that yeah they, they, they're friends they have some sort of relationship going on and um, she has a sister, and the sister turns up. And it's very quickly kind of like, there's been an adventure involving the sister. This adventure is not relevant to the story. It doesn't, it's not that blunt. Yeah. And you quickly will write, okay, so the sister's here. She, and there's a, like a quick kind of, oh, yes, yeah, so you're tired with blah, 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 sort of thing, because that's clearly a, a wound. It's like, I don't want to reopen this old wound about blah. And you're like, right, no, I'm up to speed, next, mm. sort of thing. And it's good because... It serves to remind the reader as to, yeah. you know, why this character's here and what this character does. But it's believable. It's not just like, hi, my sister. None of that nonsense. She does, it's not blunt, but it's there. It's subtle enough there for you to go, well, okay. So, Evelyn Sparrow is a beggar. She's a thief. Uh, she's also a school teacher right now. She's she's a what? Good ba- good a, ba- a burglar. A burglar. Cute. And yeah, she's a very talented, very skilled young lady, and she's running a school which teaches reading, writing, arithmetic, and also security. Excellent. And Veritsu, which is the obviously the Victorian martial, mixed martial art, 
and not what they teach people who serve coffee. Um, Obviously. <laughs> so she's she's basically it's a school for young Victorian adventurers, especially. Okay, this sounds cool. Yeah. Especially as what's essentially going on here is some of these are like middle class girls who their parents are paying money for them to be trained in you know polite society style manners. And then some of them are essentially orphans that have been picked up that need a start in life. And the reason the school, the, the book starts off with the school in trouble, we can't quite pay, pay the, the, the butcher's boy and they can't quite pay the grocery bill because she's taken on too many orphans. So it's kind of like St. Trinian's in, the, in that idea, like we've got no money and everything's falling apart and there. Well, um, but it sounds like it's kind of a school for people where it's like you're going to learn how to be the character of your own novel series. <laughs> it's protagonist school. That's that's what the main. Uh, Evelyn's power is running protagonist school, um, and it's great. Her one of her relatives is a mad scientist genius, who was horribly exploited exploited because patriarchy. Uh, was horribly exploited clearly in a previous novel and again it does that flyby thing of going here is this character this character is really cool they've had a horrible past moving on and you're like <laughs> I want to read that book now uh, so but obviously I've jumped into the middle of the series so this one specifically is she's trying to raise money for the school what are her skills well her skills involve theft so she uh, is going to set herself up as a security expert meanwhile a very dear friend of hers who is a member of the fairy kingdoms, because fairies are involved in this. What? Place. This is amazing. It's steampunk. So a member of the fairy kingdoms um, is trying to help his father out, and his father asks him to do a ridiculous thing. So off he goes, trots off into the fairy. He's a fox spirit. Yeah. Because obviously, um, Chinese fairy fox spirit doody thing, who's a friend of Edwin, maybe a bit more than friends, but you know, fair, fair folk. And there's a whole kind of... It's like he trots off on an adventure, she trots off on an adventure. Halfway through their adventures, their adventures cross, and they're like, Hello! How's your day been? Well, it's been kind of hectic, and off they go again. And I just kind of love that moment where they're like... And you you as a reader are like, Oh, you should be talking to each other. But that's the kind of character building that Guy Silver goes for. And again, I'm trying to avoid kind of... Again, this is all set up and not spot. Um, there sounds like there's a heck of a lot of plot going on here. Yeah, and it's really like 300 pages. So it's a fun steampunk adventure novel. Um, it's very much in the mould of Gil Carragher, Power Soul, Protectorate, that sort of, you know, kind of like flat out fun, kind of steampunk style. Uh, on previous show, we were talking about the Pantheon series. Mm. And it's, this is the thing that Solaris seemed to be specialising in now, because I think this is our second Solaris book in this many weeks. But yeah, this is the sort of thing that I think Solaris are starting to, to kind of get really into. Is they've started doing just fun pulp stuff, but this is pulp steampunk. Again, it works on lots of different levels, but all the levels are, I wouldn't say superficial, but they're all kind of daft. And one of the things that doesn't, sh- one of the things I hate about a lot of steampunk novels is like, hey, it was a steampunk hero. Everything is fine in Victorian London because steampunk. Yes, <laughs> Let, let's twirl our moustaches with the, the cogs. None of that nonsense. Poverty is a real thing because Victorian London. Yeah. Exploitation of women is definitely a real thing. Main character is a lady, but you know, 
and that is that is a disadvantage that she carries because the society isn't advanced enough to you know deal with that um and so on the character in quite kind of sexism classism as a thing poverty as a thing and yet all of it there's flying machines and there's people going i'm not sure about this as things fall apart uh, and there's there's fairies in it and fairy courts and other related weirdness um so import spot sparrow falling by gay seabold feels like it's part of a broader series because it is um so sorry have you read any of the others nope okay um but i had no problem with it i had absolutely i was sitting there going i think i might have been spoiled for one or two of the other books because obviously i read the bit in the middle um but i enjoyed it i had fun and it's it's that thing like you know we talked about stalls a movie uh, a moment ago Stalls does that thing where they go to school Jedi Knights and you're like you don't know what Jedi Knight is but you, you're up to speed fairly quickly mm. you, you don't really know what the Empire is but you're up to speed fairly quickly yeah. you certainly have no idea what the Clone Wars are when the first time you see Star Wars but you're up to speed fairly quickly and it does you know because it's the middle of a series you just go oh I know I get it and, and Guy Seabold is fast enough and clever enough to be able to paint the world without it you know, without it being ruined for you. I have no idea what the rest of them are like, but do you know what? I'll definitely read the next one. It sounds like there's a lot of love in there, like, kind of, like, a real love of this character and the world that's been created around them. Um, And that's that's often enough to get you as invested in a character as the writer is. Um, Yeah. Oh, again, it's... You know, I, I kind of want to see more about the school itself. Mm. You know, if they ever do a spin-off series, which is essentially steampunk centurions, I'm I'm on that completely. I, I think we all are. Actually. Yeah. Hashtag writing ideas. <laughs> <laughs> so um, reaches for ideas. Shall we listen to a lovely jingle and then come back? Okay. Across the world, twenty-four hours a day. So we were talking about because steampunk is a thing and we should go into steampunk at some point but we were talking about the idea of uh, all girls school all girls school adventures and there is a sort of British romanticism about boarding schools and that boarding school experience that we, we've got and I'm going to go on a total tangent and talk about a thing by a guy called Terry Wiley called Surreal School Stories Excellent which has it's a it's a uh, so these were produced in the 90s and you can still get them and there's a collected edition that is used it was originally on gratuitous bunny comics but you can find it at your local indie comic book merchant thing is they're not comic books it's a series of pamphlets with illustrations in the style of the old kind of all boys adventures kind of victorian era or edwardian era amazing kind of stories but the, the standout plate for these is is where they're, they're sitting around and there's, there's a picture of a, a girl looking very surprised. Mm-hmm. And she goes, and the caption is, Lysergic acid? LSD? We've taken LSD? That's the caption and there's a look of shock on her face. 
Um, it's set in the 70s and it's about uh, a girl called Jaw Dribble. And she's inducted into this weird school that doesn't have its own swimming, swimming pool but does have its own particle accelerator. Excellent. Um, yep. Um, and it's boarding school, and she starts, you know, she starts travelling from home to the boarding school, and eventually she ends up boarding there. And you know how some schools have like houses, you know, like you know the traditional kind of. Yeah. Like, I, I was in Nightingale and so on. You know. I was actually in Nightingale. Yeah, Nightingale. Um, so yeah. I was in St Patrick's. You were in St Patrick's. Mm. Oh, okay. Uh, American viewers, American listeners. You have no idea how this works, and we're not going to. No, but they have anything. houses, don't they? No, no. I no. think it's an intrinsically didn't leave Europe thing. Okay. I was in Neptune in my middle school, and then I was in Scott, and then someone went. We need to change the names of the houses, and then I was in Nightingale. There. Anywho, in in this in surreal school stories by Ter- Terry Wiley, they they aren't invited to be in actual in houses. What they join is conspiracies. Ah, amazing. And there's lots of little conspiracies all running around trying to find out the terrible secret behind the school. Ah, that's so good. The thing is, Jo herself has um, the gift of prophecy. And when she closes her eyes and pushes slightly, she can hear something else talking to her that tells her things. And these are always little hints and tips from the future. And the kind of the suggestion is it might be Joe from the future talking to her and giving her tips. Okay. Uh, or maybe not, it's never quite explained. But yeah, it's part of it's part of the, the, the Tales from Sleeves Castle series, which is a big comic book thing, and it kind of adds onto the back of there. Um, and Terry Wilde is one of those British comic book geniuses that you kind of you either know who he is and love him. Oh, you haven't a clue when you've completely ignored them. Mm. But yeah, I'm a, a big lover of surreal school stories. Um, but yeah, you're going to have to hunt, unfortunately, because it came out in 1995. It's been reprinted a couple of times. But it's it's funny, actually, because Ronald Searle did, was, who did Centrinians, mm. they started off as illustrations, didn't they? Yeah. So, I mean, and it's an absolute... I'm just having a quick look at the original Centrinian series and the absolute pile. There's loads of them. Absolutely loads of them. years. Yeah. Years and years. There's a reason why Centrinians is still kind of thought of. Um, and you don't have like, oh, it's re- like at uni, it's not a school disco, it's a Centrinians disco, night. Like, yeah. It's... I so wanted to go to Centrinians when I was a kid. Yeah. It just constant like it was that idea of like freedom wasn't it um, yeah. and being allowed to be naughty um, it's not something that you kind of came across very often as, as children um, kind of stories that were like these are kids being naughty and you know what there's a payoff at the end and there's no repercussion being naughty um, this is okay yeah they all, it's a caper isn't it and they always manage to just about come out okay mm. well there's also the Molesworth series which is a similar sort of you know again it's about boarding schools but it's a Molesworth is a boy obviously and he's a bit of a creep and that sort of and I think part of this is a parody of the whole romanticised boarding school side yeah. of things which is kind of funny apparently you can get them all in one book called Centrinians the entire appalling business <laughs> <laughs> 
That's very, very true. To the, to the, uh, <laughs> the blurbiness is marvellous. Now black humour and black stockings intact. The Centrillion's Girls Reach American Source and this gleefully wicked collection of cartoons published to coincide with the major film. Ah, that's why that Which came film out. is it tying into? Is it tying into the, into the reboot? I think it's the first reboot one. Yeah, because I, I haven't seen the sequel to that with David Tennant in it, but I did re-watch the reboot the other week. Oh, it, it, the, the sequel to that uh, does tell uh, the terrible, terrible dark secret of Shakespeare. Yeah. I see the recall. It also has David Tennant being absolutely... There's definitely some form of piracy on the Thames, as far as I'm remembering. Isn't there... It goes a bit ridiculous. One of Girls Aloud is in it a lot. Yes, when she was having her initial go at her acting career. Yeah. Does Girls Aloud do the song at the end of the first yes. reboot movie? Yes, they do. Because they're ex-students. Yes. Would you, however, okay, you get to choose a fantasy school or science fiction school. Which one are you going to go to? Hogwarts. <laughs> Stupid question. I don't know, I think Hogwarts is trying to kill you, man. I think Hogwarts has, like, serious health and safety concerns. Jedi Academy. But again, it's trying to kill you. This is the thing. See, Mallory Towers, I could quite like Mallory Towers. Mallory yeah. Towers? Evie Blyton, first first year at Mallory Towers, second year at Mallory Towers. I never upper, got upper fourth at Mallory Towers. I never got on with Enid Blyton. You're not the, you're not the demographic for the Mallory Towers books. You're so <laughs> far off being the demographic. It's ridiculous. But I tried the the I almost said the Fantastic Five. I tried I tried Famous Five. And I you know I couldn't get on with Enid Blyton because she kept stealing my chips. See, I think you'd get on with the Choose Your Own Adventure version of the Famous Five. Oh, I, I had that with the dice with the, yeah, the, with the different picnic, cubes on. Picnic, yeah. I had that and I had the Asterix version. And the Asterix version was great because occasionally you'd roll dogmatics and the dog would fix everything because dogs are awesome. Um, We've gone off topic. We have gone off, off topic. Yeah, Mallory Towers sounded awesome in the books. But, you know, it is 25 years plus since I read them. Yeah, I think for me the the reason it's Hogwarts and it's I've I've spoken about this before loads of times, but ultimately I was the same age as Harry when those books came out. Um, I've been reading them since I was since I was little, um, and so at the age when I started reading Harry Potter, the majority of stories I'd I'd read that had some form of school basis, the school didn't come out of it looking particularly well like um like i've always always loved roald dahl i read so much roald dahl when i was little school does not come out of roald dahl in a particularly positive light in most of them um like in matilda if it wasn't for miss honey the school system would be a write-off james doesn't go to school um sophie doesn't go to school Danny the champion of the world don't go to school yeah yeah have you read boy by roald dahl yes he hated school yeah there's there's a there's a definite thing there. <laughs> um, yeah, boy is a really interesting story actually. Like the kind of what well, I say story, sorry, like um, autobiography. But I like that idea of having an autobiography of your small self and an autobiography of of your larger self. But I think because I found a school in a story that I couldn't think of anything else but wanting to go, and I never. I didn't ultimately stories didn't have particularly inspiring school 
things going on in them really changed before the that. paradigm because again we've got the school of good and evil and then suddenly you know academies and wizards academies became a thing mm. and now it's almost like it's almost expected but yeah you did like um education kind of becomes as is a big part of lots of stories now like I think like Percy Jackson it's, I know it's essentially a camp but it's it's an educational camp um, lo- loads more stories like that where the actual um, educational mentors also are sources of uh, encouragement um, and, and, and nurturing but that wasn't something that I'd, I'd experienced when I was younger. But now almost is, is a given and an important part of a story is finding that kind of um, the, school being a safe place almost is an important part of stories now. Mm-hmm. It's a Tim, Tim, new Tim Burton film looks amazing. Miss, Miss Peregrine's special oh. schoolie, school, school of schoolie special things. Um, like I love and I love things like that um, and I wish I wish I'd known of more of those sorts of stories when I was little there's been I mean in the, there's a whole there's broader geek culture there's called like you know there's the whole high school I think it's called mm. where, you know, which is full of ghoulish puns mm-hmm. and, you know um, I can't remember what they call the cheerleaders but they're you know they're the they're, they're, they're the, the right ghouls for the job that sort of <laughs> silliness going on but yeah, there's, there's, I think there's definitely been a kind of dive towards, towards you know, marvelous, marvelous fantasy schools. Which it must be really kind of grim if you're, you know, in a rubbish school and you're age ten and you're just like, there's no wizard school here. Where is my room of requirement? Yeah. But um, the closest thing I had to that at school was sneaking off to play Dungeons and Dragons at lunchtime. We just used to sit in our classroom. Um, because everyone left their ba- their bags in the classroom when they went to the playground, we used to just hide behind the bags so that the the the, the um, playground attendants didn't see us when they did room checks, and then just come back out and sit. And if anyone knocked on the door, we'd tell them choir wasn't on that day, and they'd leave. Um, <laughs> it was great. My school librarian absolutely hated the fighting fantasy books because what we did is one person, if you had a fighting fantasy book. And no one else had the fighting fantasy book because you got it out of the library and there was, you know, no one else had it. You should read it out. So you'd have like, you basically played Dungeons and Dragons. Dangerously subversive. You'd read it out and you'd be like, what do you do? And then three or four of your friends would be like, um, we'll go left. We'll fight the monster. And it's like, alright, roll dice. And you'd kind of do it as a collaborative experience. And I remember the first time, first time someone suggested this, I was like, that's not how you play a fighting fantasy. But it's so much fun with friends, sort of thing. And the librarian hated this because it meant that kids were reading but talking at the same time. Yeah. How dare they? Nightmare. I actually, I met him as an adult and he was a lovely guy, but I thought he was a horror when I was a teenager. You know, when I was a, when, I, when I was a boy, I thought he was an awful human being. But you do that thing where ten years later you meet him in the pub and you end up talking about. Keats or something <laughs> and you're like actually you're a decent human being just but well, 400 teenage boys were a nightmare yes exactly mm. shall we talk to a lovely author yes a lovely author Peter Hamilton welcome to Brave New Words in association with Starburst magazine um, hello can you tell us about your latest book please hello um, my latest book is called Night Without Stars and it comes out middle of September and it's uh, set in a 
Commonwealth University that I've been writing about for I think about twelve years now. So the the, the last time the, the last time we looked at the Commonwealth Universe, um we we'd encountered a, a another sinister threat to the status quo. So um what can we expect? You can expect revolution. Uh, this is the seventh book in the Commonwealth series. So drawing a line under it now and bringing the various characters to their conclusion. Okay, yeah. yes, yes. Um, so, brilliant. What are your future plans for the Commonwealth? The Commonwealth? Um, I'm not sure at the moment. I'm certainly not... It is a conclusion of most of the stories had in it so far. Um, I need to do something different. I need to do something else. So I've started a new trilogy set in a completely new universe. Maybe when I've finished that, I'll take another look at, at the Commonwealth. But certainly for the next three or four books, that's it as far as the Commonwealth is concerned. Never say never again. But I don't actually have any stories in my head at the moment that would be in the Commonwealth. You've played with the idea of a sort of immortality in a science fiction universe and how that affects um, society. Will you be returning to those themes? My work in general? Um, I think I've dealt with not quite immortality, but certainly extreme longevity. Um, so I think I might take a little step away from that now. Um, obviously, medical technology in the future is going to be better than it is today. So characters will longer, which will maybe their color their characteristics a little differently to the ones we have today in general. But I don't think um, I don't think a longer life can be excluded from any um, new works in the future. I think it's an inevitability that we have to confront and, and deal with. How do you cope with the infinite novelty in, that's available to you in science fiction? How the devil do you choose what to write about? Uh, oh, good question. Um, I mean, research in, in science fields, medical fields, computing, the lot is, is just so broad spectrum these days. I will look at the story I'm trying to write, and I will try and see which area it will intersect with, then those will pay closer attention to, to, to see the effect it has on the lives of the people, and the society, the people I'm dealing with. So I try and keep track of as much as I can, um, and then sort of try and narrow it down a bit once I've, once I've worked out what will be the main factors. Where do you see science fiction as a genre going beyond your own work? Uh, I'm not even sure I can answer that question. I mean, there are so many of us writing it, going in so many different directions, so many ideas leading in. I think it's constantly evolving. I think you can't predict its future. Um, there is just so much out there and so much good work as well. Um, and it's very varied, which is a wonderful thing now. I've, I've heard your work described as quintessentially English in places. Would you agree with that? Um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I put in a lot of English place names, which probably helps nail it down a little. But I think the concerns tend to vary between writers. The national characteristics do come into it a bit. Um, there is, and I'm stereotyping here, there's a lot of military SF in the, in, uh, the United States at the moment, uh, which the Brits tend not to write about very much. Um, but I can't think of anything as would absolutely nail it down as, as, as British science fiction. I would think it would be fairly widespread um, appeal. Is science fiction going towards a more intellectual bent now, or is there still room for rocket ships and ray guns? <laughs> um, I think there's still room for everything. I don't, don't 
see particular trends evolve that take it away from its roots. I think we've evolved its roots. The, the peak of stories from these days, the nature of expectation for readership means we can't really get the kind of stories that happened in the 1950s when it was all rocket ships and ray guns. I think there's a lot more thought that goes into the worlds we build, um, and that, that's only a good thing. What what are you reading now? What is your what is the sort of thing that you're really into right now? Uh, I, at the moment, I'm two thirds of the way through Seventies by Neil Stevenson uh, and loving it. So that's what I've actually got up at the moment. And I've just read Avenger by Al Reynolds as well, which is quite different for Al, but uh, is extraordinarily good. I found that lovely. Is there any new author or up and coming author that you would personally recommend? Um, yes, I really like what Claire North is doing. And again, that's ex that's very different from the kind of stuff I write. Um, but she's certainly um, tells a very, very good story. Is science fiction now mainstream? Now that we've got, you know, we have massive Comic-Cons and we have massive events and most of the Hollywood motion pictures are some sort of sci-fi. Um, is, it, is it no longer a niche or was it never really a niche in the first place? over a niche. Um, I mean, the terms we, we use have bled into a sort of ordinary life. Everyone knows what it is and where to find it. Um, I don't I don't think it is um, a gated community anymore, if you like. I think it's more widespread than that. Um, there's a lot more readers out there. So, the Commonwealth. Um, where else Where else would you like to go? We've, we've you know, we've been to uncharted parts of space, we've been in the past, we've been into, we've met all sorts of alien races. Is there anything left? Not very much at the moment. As I said, it's been seven books. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground in that. I might do some short stories set in the universe of the Commonwealth, but I'm not the most prolific short story writer. Um, so, again, this is a reason why I need to take a, a, a break from it, quite a long break. After that, I might come back to it and see something new, something I want to write about. But there's, I pretty much covered most of it as far as I'm concerned. Uh, any chance we'll see the world of 2040 again? Or was that just a one-off? Which one's that, the Great North Road? Yes. Ah, no, that was a one-off. That was um, quite deliberately a one-off. I'm, uh, I'm not going to go back to that, I don't think. Okay, um, on to some fairly quick and easy questions, or not so much. If you got to save one book, and uh, that book would survive until the end of all time, what would it be? Of, of mine or anyone's? Yours or anyone's. Mine or anyone's. Um, mine would probably be the Commonwealth Saga. Someone else's. Ah, uh, uh, dear. You know, I'm not sure about that. Let me think. Um... Oh, I'll go with I'll go with the current one, Revenger by Al Reynolds. If you well, got, I, oh, I go on record as saying that's a very unfair question. <laughs> it is, it really is. Uh, if you got to take one piece of technology from your books and bring it into the real world, what would it be? Oh, rejuvenation. Um, okay. If you got to meet yourself at the age of sixteen for a very short period of time and give yourself one piece of advice, what would that be? It took me a long time to get writing properly, so I would say that to me. Have more confidence. Um, and some silly quick-fire questions, just to finish off, if you don't mind. Oh, yes. Um, Simpsons or Futurama? Simpsons. Uh, mechanical engineering or genetic engineering? 
genetic? Um, space trains or space freighters? Trains. Um, ray guns or diplomacy? Diplomacy. And finally, truth or beauty? Truth. Peter Ruff Hamilton, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Embrace the alternative. So if you've got any suggestions for people we should talk to or things we should do, you can contact us at, at Radio Bookworm. Uh, you can also contact us, we are sponsored by Starburst Magazine. You can get in touch via us at letters at starburstmagazine.com or you can talk to me directly at ed.fortune at starburstmagazine.com as well. Uh, you can also find us on the Brave New Words Secret Book Club, which is on Facebook. Uh, you can find us on Tumblr as Brave New Words. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find us on Instagram as Brave New Words. Um, probably ravens, pigeons, owls and whispering trees that will also do the same job for you if you want to get in touch. Um, or send us a telepathic message. Mm. Not that sort of telepathic message. Stop that. Anyway, shall we leave? Yes. Well, I've been your host, Ed Fortune. I've been Del. I've been producer Al. Bye! See ya! Speed Shop is a place to discuss, debate and just waffle on about old and interesting motors, mainly, but not exclusively, of the internal combustion variety. We'll have auction reports, buyer's guides, show previews and restoration stories to inspire, excite and occasionally terrify. That's the Speed Shop with me, Steve Berry, here on Fab Radio International.